Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Becca Bruner. morning once again. We are finishing our series on the Sermon on the Mount today, so we're going to start out this final sermon in this series with a little bit of fun, with a game. Uh, So this game, uh, it's not formal. We have no buzzers, no point system, whatever. So um, I just want you to yell out when I I prompt you to do so. If you know the answer, just yell it out where you are. Uh, You will know if you've won. Um, And if you win, you get the prize of knowing you won. Um, So uh, I will say uh, chapel only, there's four questions in this uh, little pop quiz we're starting out with today. Chapel only got two. So uh, we're gonna see if we can do a little better in here. Uh, What I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, say the last line of a famous movie, and I wanna see if you know what the movie is, all right? So they they cross the generations a little bit, so we'll see uh, who who can get them and how many we, we get. So here we go, just shout them out if you think you know them. First one. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Casablanca, all right. So keep your own tally. We want to see who gets all four, you know? So you can really feel special. Next one. And oh, Auntie M, there is no place like home. Yes, all right. My kids haven't actually seen Wizard of Oz yet. Like, we tried to show them, and they got bored, and I got mad. Um, It's too bad. Kids these days. Roads, where we're going, you don't need roads. Back to the future, I heard a few, knew that one, less, less of the crowd, that's, that's more my generation, that one. Final one, definitely my generation, we will be watching this one next weekend, in fact. Kevin, what did you do to my room? Home alone, all right, anybody get all four? Is there anybody? Meredith wins, Meredith, you can take like a pen on the way out if you'd like one, you win. So what is it about these lines that make them just so memorable? How, you know, it's just we know as soon as we hear them what, what movie they, they come from. I mean, some of, the, some of us know these lines even if we haven't seen the movie. I mean, Wizard of Oz, that's like, you, you know that. We, you know, we, we remember these lines because they just do this unique thing. There's something about those lines, the final lines of these really great movies kind of pull back the whole movie into our minds, right? It's not just that line, that somehow that final line encapsulates everything that's happened in the movie up to that point. That's what a really good movie does. Well, Jesus is a really, really good teacher. He knows what he's doing. He teaches in a way that he wants people to be able to remember everything else that he's just said. And so in these final lines of his Sermon on the Mount, these final lines that we're gonna look at today, they kind of do the same thing. They take everything he has said thus far in this sermon and they kind of encapsulate it in just a a few short words. So whether you have been here for this whole series thus far or today's your first day and you're like, Sermon on the what? Doesn't matter. Hopefully, if you hear, in hearing Jesus' final words today, this sums it all up for you. We, We all, get what Jesus is trying to say and trying to encourage us to live together in this amazing, incredible Sermon on the Mount. But before we get to those lines, 
again, for those of us who haven't been here or those of us like me that maybe your memory uh, goes elsewhere, just let me give us a bird's eye view of, of where we've been, what we've talked about as we've looked at this sermon together over the last eight weeks. Jesus started out this sermon on the the mount talking about this kind of upside-down kingdom that he came to bring, this this kingdom in which the, the poor in spirit are the richest of all, where those who mourn and hunger and are persecuted are the ones who are truly blessed. Jesus also then, he, he moved on to kind of raise the bar a little bit. You know, he said, okay, okay if, you, if you want to really be good, here's what that actually looks like. And he, but he makes clear it's not about perfect outward obedience. Jesus doesn't expect uh, just perfect behavior from us. What he's looking for instead of this external outward obedience is this whole life deliverance giving us an opportunity to live in such a way that that God truly desires for us. And when we do that, we actually find ourselves set free. And that freedom extends to every part of our lives, to our, our family, to our food, to our finances, all of it. And Jesus taught us. He taught us how to lay down those things that would hinder us from experiencing the full and free life that he offers, the things like anxiety, Things like judgment, things like even our own doubts about God's goodness. And then finally, as Jonathan shared with us last week, as Jesus starts wrapping this thing up, he he does have some warnings. He says, we have have a choice to make in all of this. You You can take the narrow way that leads to life, or you can take that easy path that leads to destruction. We can choose to to follow leaders that look shiny and like they've got it all together and so impressive on the outside, or we can look for those kind of leaders that that show that they're bearing fruit from abiding in Jesus themselves. So all of that then leads to these last lines in the sermon. Jesus sums it all up, and in so doing, what he's trying to do is give us a way to respond, to do something with everything he has just said. We're going to listen to Jesus together, reading from the message version of Scripture, Matthew 7, starting at verse 24. Jesus says, These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They're foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock, Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved the house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When the storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. So Jesus ending his sermon, really trying to help us take it all in, remember everything that he said, he ends by telling a story. Well, two stories, really. And in these two stories, what we get, we get two realities and one choice. Two realities, one choice. The first reality that Jesus lays out for us in these stories is that Everybody builds a house, right? In both stories, no matter who it is, they both build a house. Everybody builds a house. You could, 
You could replace the word house with the word life. Everybody builds a life. That's just one of the realities of being a human being in this world. Everybody builds a life, which is to say everybody forms a character. Everybody's constructing a soul, badly or beautifully, on purpose or by accident, with God's help or on your own. Everybody builds a house. Everybody builds a life. This life that we are all actively building, that's what forms the content of this sermon Jesus has just preached. He talks about all those kind of building blocks, construction pieces of the life that we could possibly build, asking questions, prompting us to think about things like, you know, how how do I want to spend my time? What are the words that I'll speak? What are the thoughts that will occupy my mind? And and what are the things that I'm, I'm filling my mind with? What will I do with my money? Who are the people that I'll surround myself with, knowing that they have the power to shape and to form me? That's what Jesus is trying to prompt us all throughout this sermon to think about. What will I do? What choices will I make day after day after day that will form those building blocks of my life? Now, the reality is we all know that while we do sometimes make those conscious choices of what do I want to do, how do I want to be, how do I want to build that life. Of course, there's a lot of life building that goes on without even thinking about it. Sometimes there's some life building that goes on with us trying not to think about it. You know, those things we'd rather not let come to the forefront of our our minds, those ideas of, you know, should I work on my marriage even though I kind of know it's in trouble? Should I deal with this harmful habit or deep flaw? Should I care for my body? Do I I need to address this, this, this addiction that I know is really hurting me and the people around me? For a lot of us, those are the life construction materials we'd rather not think about. But as my dad so very, very annoyingly liked to remind us as we were kids and teenagers and especially young adults, he'd say, and we know it's true, right? Not to decide is to decide. And our decision not to think about all that stuff, that in itself becomes a decision with his own issues and repercussions and and consequences. Everybody builds a house, whether you're thinking about it or not. You can't avoid this. I, I, I can't abdicate my responsibility for this. I can't slough it off on my, my parents or my peers or my boss or my family. My life has to be built, and it's built not by things that have happened to me, but it is built in those tiny little decisions I am making or not making every day, every moment, all the time. Everybody builds a house. That's our first reality we get from Jesus' stories. The second is everybody faces storms. You know, nothing in any of Jesus' teachings, not here in the Sermon on the Mount, nor anything else he ever said in any of his teachings, give us any indication that there is a way to avoid storms in life. Jesus does not give us that option. He he didn't come to provide us a plan to shelter or to, to avoid facing storms. I really wish he had sometimes. 
I'd really like it if Jesus could have laid out like the five-point plan to just not face storms in life, but that's not what he says. But I want better weather. You know, Dave and I, last weekend, we got to get away for like the first time in like two years. We got away for two nights, booked a, a place to go to Ocean City for the weekend, and we were, we were so excited. But, but I'm a sunshine girl. Like, I just, I love the sun. My skin's going to be mad at me, but I don't care. I love it. I, and so we planned this weekend, and I started, you know, like five days or more ahead of time getting on weather.com to see what, the, what it was going to do, right? Like, I wanted to go and walk on the beach, be in the sun. And at the beginning of the week, as, as we were looking at the weekend ahead, it started to show some rain in the forecast. So I, I, I actually, for a minute, I went to Dave, and I was like, you know I mean, it's maybe going to rain. Maybe should we plan for a different weekend? Like, maybe not go that weekend. And quite wisely, Dave said, we got two nights, zero kids, we're going. Like, you got a locked-in babysitter, you go, no matter what the weather. But I want to avoid it. I want it all to be sunshine. But Jesus makes it clear. In the Sermon on the Mount, it is not a message about how to schedule your life to avoid the rain. Everybody faces storms. People with lots of money and people with no money. People with the most advanced degrees from the most prestigious universities and people who have barely a 10th grade education. People with lots and lots of faith who pray all the time and people who have zero faith who can't even remember if they've ever prayed. To all of us, Jesus says, a storm will come. You know, I feel like uh, Jesus was kind of driving this point home this week because literally as I was writing this on Thursday, storm after storm after storm kept blowing in this church. First, it was just the phone call from the mom whose adult son is suffering greatly with an illness that doctors can't figure out and she can't help. And she's heartbroken. That mom, that family is in the storm. There was a member who popped into my office because she was having a good day. She was having a good day on Thursday because she was in this like two week window where she's not getting chemo. And it's in only that two week window that she can really get out and do anything because once the chemo's going, she can't get out of her room. She is in the storm. There was the text message from the man who's working really, really hard at his job and just trying to make things happen, but it's kind of not happening, and he ends every week just feeling defeated and discouraged. And he's going into the weekend not looking like, oh, good, I get some time to rest, but he's going in, into the weekend nervous because he doesn't know if he goes back in on Monday if what's waiting for him is a pink slip and a two-week severance if he's lucky. He is in the storm. There's a husband who is, his wife has a yet undiagnosed and then therefore untreated mental illness. And he is the only one who knows about it. And so he's just trying to do everything to, to hold it all together, to shoulder it all himself, the house, the bills, the kids, the, the work, the, just the, the everything, take it off of her so that maybe she can have the strength to go get the help that she needs. They are in the storm. By the way, 
you're sitting there going, she's talking about me. Like, is she just telling my story? I might be. Because these are real stories of real people in our church that I talked to this week. But I also might not be. Because to be honest, there are other stories of other people in this church that you just change one tiny detail on any one of those stories and it's about somebody else. It is no exaggeration to say that you are sitting no less than three chairs away from somebody who today is in the storm. There is somebody sitting very close to you today who is in deep pain somebody who is struggling, which is why I'm so grateful, so glad that Jesus just names that, right? He, he normalizes the storm. Jesus is brutally honest about the fact that life is hard. And there's a lot of circles, especially Christian ones, unfortunately, sometimes that, that not only we're in the storm, but then we feel bad about it, like somehow we've done something wrong to deserve it or earn it or not find our way out of it. Like if I just prayed more, if I just believed more, no. Everybody faces the storm. No matter how good you are, how much you pray, how deeply you believe. At some point or another, we will all face the storm. And I know there are some who are in it right now. And Jesus knows too. Everybody builds a life. And everybody faces a storm. We don't have a choice about that. What we do have a choice about, Jesus says, is as we are building that life, is where we build it, upon what foundation we build our life on. We are all building a life. And the reality is we all build it on a foundation. The foundation that we choose is whatever we think is most stable, most secure, what's most likely to, to hold us up when that storm comes. And so for most of us, it's, you think about if you want to know where you, you build, what your foundation is, it's whatever you feel like gives you identity. Whatever you feel like gives you security, whatever fills those deep human needs of meaning and purpose and acceptance, and we all do this. We all build that on that some foundation or another. And most of them, most of them are good. A lot of the foundations we build on, they're really, really good. The problem is they're just not good enough. Just think about just some examples. If I'm building my life on, on, on romance, on just this, this, this kind of being swept away by, by another person and then making myself somebody that somebody might be swept away with. Well, that may happen, but Scripture tells us beauty is fleeting. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. We know this. You know, whatever somebody looks like at 25, that's not how they're going to look at 70. Without a whole lot of work anyway. You know, wrinkles form. We'll go back to that sun thing later, right? Wrinkles form, hair grays or falls out. Beauty fleets. If I'm building my life on the foundation of my career, I'm going to be replaced. 
I'm going to be forgotten. Ecclesiastes 2 speaks for all of us. He says, says, what we all toil for, what we're working so hard for, we're going to pass it along eventually to somebody else, and we have no control over whether or how or if they use it well or use it at all. If I build my life on the foundation of my, my family, well, there's gonna come a day that my children move out. They go get married, start families of their own. I'm gonna die, they're gonna die. There's gonna come a time that every spouse is separated from their spouse. Divorce happens. Dementia happens. Death happens. If I'm building my life on the foundation of recognition, of being praised, of of being remembered, well, it's a pretty sobering thought to realize that my great, 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 whatever grandchildren, however many generations ahead, they're probably not even gonna know my name, right? Like in all likelihood, my name, my reputation, my accomplishments, a couple generations from now, it's gone. Thomas Merton put it this way. He said, people may spend their whole lives climbing a ladder, only to find that when they reach the top, the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. And parenthetically, All of these things, right? All of these possible foundations, romance, career, family, recognition, any of those things, these are all beautiful gifts from God. These are all things that God has lavished on us and we can actually live very healthy, God-honoring, life-giving lives using them for God's glory. But we can only do so when we realize that, that all of these things, these are only shadows and signs of which Jesus is the substance. All of these things are pointers to which Jesus is the point. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the one all of our hearts are longing for. So in the end, we will discover that our pursuit of love and romance is really just our hearts crying out for the one who calls himself the bridegroom and has deep and everlasting love for his bride, for his church. Every pursuit of love and romance is ultimately a pursuit of what Jesus can only truly give in a lasting way. Every career pursuit is really underneath a longing for that well-done, good, and faithful servant that Jesus will give to those who belong to him. Every family pursuit is a longing for our God who we call our everlasting Father. For the Holy Spirit, the, the paraclete, the comforter who comes alongside us like the most affectionate mother. It's a longing for Jesus who calls us his brothers and sisters and unites us in this family that we now now call the church. Every longing for recognition is, is truly deep down, a longing to hear God's pronouncement that I take great delight in you. You are the apple of my eye. 
This invitation that Jesus gives here at the end of his sermon is to build your house, to build your life, not on the shaky foundation of romance, career, family recognition, money, or whatever else may think we may think would fulfill those longings of our heart. Jesus says, instead, you can build your house on the rock. You can build your life on him. If you work these words into your life, Jesus says, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. If you work these words into your life, Jesus says, these words, these words of the, the Sermon on the Mount that we've been learning and, and studying and trying to apply for these last eight weeks. I don't know about you, but I find working Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount into my life to be very hard. Like, I'll be honest, I, I was kind of hoping that like preaching through it would like help me in some way, like give me some magic power, like I could actually do it this time. Don't get me wrong, I, I really want to. I want to follow Jesus' words. I want to follow Jesus' teaching, but you know, I'll, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll, I'll think, okay, Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life. So I'll think, okay, do it. I'm not gonna worry about anything. But gosh darn it, I'll get out of bed and I'll find my brain just like within seconds is finding that one thing I'm worried about and ooh, couldn't check off that one. I'll walk out to get my coffee and I'll remember Jesus' words as, you know, don't judge one another. And I'll, you know, that thing about the don't pick the speck out of somebody's eye when you got a plank in your own eye, but then I'll go do that. But then Dave does that thing that he always does. It's like really annoying and it's like, mm. okay, no check mark on that one either. Turn on the news and they're telling a story about, you know, those people who are on that side of the line. And, and I don't understand how they could be on that side of the line because I'm over here on this side of the line and I am very smart and I've really thought it through. So how could they possibly be on this side of the line and I'm listening to the story and I get mad and I just under my breath and I go, oh, those idiots. And then I remember Jesus says like, that's just as bad as murder. Okay, didn't get that one either, right? And this is all before I've eaten breakfast. So like, what do we do with this? Like, if this is the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, if this is Jesus, what Jesus expects me to do, I can't. I don't. I mean, I'm out. Well, Jesus says if you work these words into your life, if I'm ever going to do that, if I'm ever going to live out the Sermon on the Mount, if we are ever going to live out the Sermon on the Mount, the reality is the very, very first step and probably constant step we have to take is just that humble and honest admission that I can't. I can't. But Jesus can. Jesus can. Jesus does. Jesus did, and Jesus will. See, Jesus doesn't just preach the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus lives it 
every beatitude, every encouragement, every command, all of it. Jesus does all of it. Where we have failed, Jesus does it for us. And by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus does it in us and through us. Jesus does these words for us, in us, through us. So as we end this sermon today, as we end this series on the Sermon on the Mount, after we pray, we're going to sing together. I'm going to invite the band in just a second to come and get set up as we pray. And they're going to lead us in a song that many of you probably know. It's a a well-known one, In Christ Alone. This is an incredibly beautiful song. It's a hymn, really, that tells the whole story of who Jesus is, what he came to do, and the difference that he makes for us. And so as as we sing, I want to just invite you to receive Jesus' invitation to build your house, to build your life on the rock. Build your life on the goodness and grace and everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Give as much of yourself as you can to as much of Jesus as you understand. By the way, if you do that, come tell one of us. (laughs) Makes our week. (laughs) More than that, we wanna walk alongside you in that. We are gonna have another Sunday coming up in a couple months where we invite people to be baptized or reaffirm their baptism. And if that's, if you make a decision to follow Jesus, we wanna talk to you about doing something like that. Because we are all building a life. We will all face a storm. And only Jesus is the rock that will keep us safe enough, secure enough, strong enough to stand. So I invite everybody to pray together as the band comes forward. Stand together. And in a posture of receiving the gifts that God wants to give, I invite anyone who feels comfortable doing so to just open your hands in a posture of kind of it's it's a posture of receiving it's a posture of humble surrender it's a posture that says god you're in church have your way lord we thank you for this gift for this time this season we've been able to spend learning from jesus teaching as hard as it is it is also so beautiful so inspiring to see the kind of world that we could inhabit when Jesus is king and we are all subjects in his kingdom. But Lord, we confess honestly before you that uh, though we want very badly to follow you, we know deep down that we fall short all the time. So we can't give you perfect obedience. All we can give you are our messed up selves. And as it turns out, that's all you wanted anyway. So Lord, receive us as we are. If we'd been able to do all of this perfectly, we wouldn't have needed Jesus to come, to live, to show us your love, to die on the cross and to rise again, that we might be made perfect. That when Jesus heard those words from his father saying, this is my son, the beloved, that those words would apply to us too. 
Lord, as individual people and as a family of faith collectively. We ask for you to come and to be our rock upon which we can stand. For those today who are facing storms of illness, of anxiety, financial insecurity, of unknown futures, Lord, we pray that you would give them great shelter, that those the winds may blow and the waters may rise, that they may know without a doubt that they will stand because you are holding them up. And if we're in a good place right now that that storm isn't hitting us, may we be a people who come alongside and say, you won't go through this storm alone. Lord, all this we ask in the powerful name of Jesus, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.